when everybody's running right, go left because you don't want to be in the same exact spot where everybody's doing the ex same exact thing. Go someplace else. Like right now, a ton of investors are running away from the market. And what are we doing? We're running towards the market. Why? Because there's not as many buyers and there's better opportunities right now. Welcome to The Real Deal, a commercial real estate investing podcast. I'm your host, Aman Shahi. There's a ton going on in the world right now, and much of it impacts real estate investors. The Real Deal podcast will take a look at what's happening and how it influences you as a real estate investor. Each episode is a 20-minute segment dedicated to distilling the day's most important news, so you can stay up to date on what's going on in the world and how it might affect the commercial real estate market. Welcome back to another episode of the Cashflow Capitalist Show. My name is Aman. I'm your host. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Michael Guthrie. Hey, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Aman. Thanks for having me. So give us your 30-second introduction, who you are. So uh, I'm Michael Guthrie. I started in uh, a company in the ATM processing business and uh, quickly grew that over the last 27 years, so over 8,000 uh, ATM machines. Mm. And during that time, I met a lot of uh, people and started raising capital on multifamily assets and triple net leases uh, about three years ago. Currently raised a little over $65 million year to date wow. and uh, just enjoy uh, making connections and creating relationships. So um, if you talk about real estate, so you used your ATM connection as a leverage to real estate. Yes, we did. So how did you get into real estate, by the way? So um, I've owned a lot of, I, about 15, 18 years ago, we bought our first uh, single family home and uh, quickly scaled that to seven different single family rental properties. And uh, over the last four years, we learned about multifamily about four and a half years ago and then started heavily investing in multifamily. We sold off all of our single family homes and have invested all that money into multifamily because one one roof, two three hundred doors is way better than one roof and one door and one tenant. So that's how we ended up going that direction. So a uh, quick question: So what would you want to tell those people who wants to have a control? They want to, but they don't want to partner with other people. They still want to invest in real estate, but they want full control. If you want full control, I say stay in the single family realm. That way, you own one door and you control a hundred percent of that. If you want to go bigger, faster. Um, you're going to have to give up a little bit of control and me being a little bit of a control freak that was nervous for me out of the gate. I wasn't really uh, stoked on handing my money over to somebody else and trusting that they're going to do the right thing. So um, I wanted to make sure that who I was working with were the people that um, have done this before and have um, actually gone full cycle on a number of deals before I actually gave them my money. So if you want full control, I say stay in the single family realm because it gets really expensive to try and buy a multifamily uh, unit building by yourself, unless you have a uh, bank account that doesn't end. So you sold all of your single family home, invest in multifamily. Did you go through 1031 or you invested as an LP? How did you get into multifamily? So I called my, that's a great question, Amon, and I appreciate this. Um, I actually called my CPA because I had 1031 properties to get into those last seven. And when my CPA, I told him what I was getting ready to do, 
He said, take the cash. You're going to get a K-1, which is a tax document that shows a paper loss from a bigger asset to cover the tax problem that's coming from selling off your single family homes. So I didn't 1031 in. And part of the reason why is I was living in California, investing outside of California. And my CPA said, if I 1031 into another property, that when that property eventually sells, I still owe the tax and the gains back to the state of California. And rather than continue to keep that tie with the state, I wanted to cut that tie as quickly as I possibly could so that I would not be responsible back to an entity that I had no control over what I was doing. So in which state were you investing before? I was in, I was in, I invested in properties in Washington state, 1031 those into single families in California. And now I'm, I'm investing mostly in Arizona, Texas, Tennessee, um, the Carolinas, Florida, um, business and landlord friendly states is where I'm trying to keep my money. And what kind of challenges did you face while you're starting into multifamily? Just interviewing a bunch of the general partners to ensure um, there was some trust with me, with them, so that I could um, hand them $50,000, $200,000 to invest into a, a larger asset. And um, not everybody has um, that kind of money to invest, but most, of, most multifamily investments, uh, the minimum dollar amount to get in is usually right around $50,000. So that's a lot of money for most of us. And it takes a long time to not only earn that money, but to save that much money so that you can invest it. And um, when you becoming a GP for your first deal, how were you doing the marketing for yourself? Were you going to different meetups, conferences? How were you finding those investors? That's a great question. So I belong to uh, a number of different um, masterminds, if you will. I'm a, I'm a, I was a member of the Tony Robbins Platinum Partnership. I'm in Brad Sumrock's uh, mastermind. I go to a, a number of different meetups. But when I got onto my very first deal as a general partner and knew I had to raise some money, I was on there with two ladies. One of them said she couldn't raise anything. And the other one said, I think I can raise a million dollars. And we had a six and a half million dollar raise staring us in the face. So I had to figure out how am I on my very first raise going to raise a minimum five, five and a half million dollars to help get this property closed. And I was working with some uh, a lady that had done this a, a number of times. So she knew she could raise her million, but wasn't sure if I was going to be able to raise mine. And so we had a deal. If I didn't raise the, my part in five business days, she could bring in a, another partner. Well, what did I do as soon as we got under contract and we agreed to our terms of me being a partner? I jumped on my cell phone, got into my texts, started with the letter A, and I started texting out, hey, I'm going to be buying this big 154-unit building in, in Dallas, Texas, and we're going to be raising this much money. If this is something you're interested in investing in, these are the kind of returns we're projecting. If this is something you're interested in, enter your email right below this text, and I'll put you on my list and get you uh, a link to our webinar that's coming up in a couple of weeks, and then uh, we'll see if you want to invest. That worked out so well. By the time I got to the letter G in my phone, I had almost $8 million committed to the opportunity. So at that point, I go, I, the people I hang out with are looking to invest their money in alternative assets and to grow their wealth while still maintaining their full-time W-2 or whatever job they had at the current time. 
And at that time, you were working with um, ATM machines. So let's say you you text me, hey, I'm buying this apartment building. Why would I trust you with real estate? Because I, I do trust you with ATM. Did you have that kind of questions from your friends and family, investors? And how did you tackle them? Aman, that's another amazing question. Thank you. They've been trust, people have been trusting me with their money for over 25 years in the ATM business. So you own an ATM machine, you place it in this store, and you're processing your transactions through me. Every time that $20, those $20 bills come out of that machine, they come back through a service that I'm providing. So we literally were transporting 40 to $100 million a month from an ATM machine to a bank account to back into the, the owner's bank account. So we already had a great relationship of trust with most of our people, and they trusted if this was something I was putting my own money into, that they would trust me with their money on this venture. So we've always been in a, a position of trust with other people's money. So I think that was a, it was a natural marriage uh, to bring them into another investment or into an investment fold using their money also. And um, so when you raised your capital, you told you, were, you had a soft commit for $8 million. And how many came with the hard commit? We had five and a half. So that's the great question. So we actually went live Thursday, that Thursday afternoon around 6 p.m. And by Sunday at noon, I had $6 million of PPMs signed. And on Tuesday that week, it was all funded. Nice. And uh, do you mind sharing the return on the, in, uh, in the property? Can you? Currently, the returns like they're going to be a little over a 2x. And we've been in that property a little over two years at this point in time. And they're, we're currently pushing at about a 2x return on that uh, investment. And uh, if you have to raise the capital right now, how, and how do you approach new investors? I just share my experience of what I'm doing and who I'm doing it with. Because I've only, had a, I've only had one property go full cycle so far that we've invested in. So I don't have a ton of full cycle experience. I am invested in 29 individual properties as a limited partner and 12 as a general partner. So I just share my current experience and the experience of the partners that I'm on the current opportunity with. And that allows people to either trust what we're doing and understand that we have a vision of what we're going to, what we're doing going forward, what the problem is in that neighborhood we are trying to solve for and how we are helping uh, tenants to have a great, nice, beautiful, safe place to live. And who is your ideal investor? Is it all your friends and family or you uh, target one particular avatar? Um, for me, it's, it's any high net worth individuals. I deal with a lot with physicians, attorneys, CPAs, and other um, entrepreneurs. And the entrepreneur is probably the most underserved market out there because they're too busy working on their business on a day-to-day -day, -day basis to understand that there are other places to invest outside of uh, the typical stock market or the 401k or even the defined benefit plans or a SEP IRA or stuff of that nature that are available to an entrepreneur business owner. And where do you meet them? Say one more time. Where do you meet those entrepreneurs? Do you go to any different kind of conferences I, or yeah, go for it. I be, I've met a bunch in uh, the Tony Robbins platinum partnership, which has a membership of a little over a thousand people. Um, I go to a, diff, a ton of different meetups for real estate, for doctors, dentists, 
attorneys, you name it. You can Google it in your town. Um, where where do doctors and and or attorneys? But I do one at a time. Where do they meet up? What kind of associations are they in? Do they have trade shows? Attend those trade shows? We found that to be very uh, fruitful to get in front of people. And you can go once, and you're probably not going to get a whole lot of traction. But the more times you show up to the same event and they get used to seeing your face, they know you're not going anywhere, and they start to trust you. And when they start to trust you, they'll start to listen to what it is you have to say and what you're trying to share with them. So you're saying building a trust takes time, even though you are not providing too much value in the first meeting. It's, it takes a lot of time, maybe one or two years, to somebody to trust you. I wished it was. I wished it was quicker, but yes, it does take time to build trust. And once you build that trust, and they give you their first one hundred thousand dollars into an investment, just know they never give you their last one hundred. And I have a I have a client um, who I can actually talk openly now. They never give you their last five hundred grand. And this person's into a number of my deals five hundred, five hundred, five hundred. And the last deal that we did, that they came in a million dollars into that deal. So. Always, always be available, always answer your phone and be there ready to answer questions to anybody that's calling because you never know which, which investor you're connecting with that's going to actually give you that big check. So did that ever happen to you? Let's say you met any physician, they brought their more friends and more different doctors and you raise capital from them too, something like this. That's, that's, a, that's a great, I'm going to, I have a little segue story to share. <clears throat> I have a friend in Houston who was buying class C properties and I was uh, under contract on a class A property. He's a physician in Houston and he said, Hey, I have physician friends in the Bay area that want to invest in shiny objects. So he goes, they want to be on class A properties. So he connected me with the one physician. That physician set up a webinar with me to do questions and answers just the same way we're doing here today. And that guy brought six friends and he never met me once. And those six physicians invest in almost every opportunity we go into at this point in time. And what's the average they bring in like 50, 50,000, a hundred thousand. What's the average? Typically a hundred to $200,000 per person. And that was based on a recommendation from a physician that knows me to physicians that didn't know me. But then once we got on a Zoom and we got to know and like and trust and answer questions back and forth, then you start to build that relationship. Some relationships go quick, some take more time. And what, But once you have an established relationship, you're the only one that can mess up that, that line of trust. And as long as you're available, you answer your phone and you answer their questions when they come in, you're going to be the one they come to when they're looking to place more money in another investment. If somebody if they have to if they have to reach out to you uh, have any questions so they can call you direct or they have to book appointment with you do you provide that kind of trust to them or not? I do. They all have everybody has my cell phone number, and I don't have a problem. With it. If I if I don't pick up, I'll text you back and say we can jump on a call in a few minutes or if this is an emergency, let me know. I'll I'll, I'll finish what I'm doing and call you next. Um, whatever it takes to make sure they get the answers they're looking for because at the end of the day. When you don't answer the questions, that people's minds start to run in in weird directions. We don't always we're not always in the positive state of mind. But if you can answer their questions to calm them down, you're in great shape. Perfect, perfect. And what kind of system have you set up at this point 
that you you that you're like using to raise more capital from like different investors like online where do you where do you meet them right right now i'm uh currently using my linkedin to for outreach um i'm using my facebook my instagram for social outreach i'm also attending new conferences that don't have to do with real estate so you want to be a, you, if you're fishing in a pond where there's 50 or 60 people fishing in the same pond, it might be a good idea to go a different direction. And uh, Ray Dalio and a couple other huge investment bankers say, when everybody's running right, go left. Because you don't want to be in the same exact spot where everybody's doing the ex same exact thing. Go someplace else. Like right now, a ton of investors are running away from the market. And what are we doing? We're running towards the market. Why? Because there's not as many buyers and there's better opportunities right now. And what, what kind of conference do you go to? Mostly doctors, engineers, or physician? What kind of conferences? We'll, we'll, go, to, we'll go to CPA uh, conferences. We'll go to physician meetups where they're talking about the next medical device or whatever. And we'll just set up a booth and say, looking for alternative investments. And we'll, we'll wait. And we try and get flyers in front of people, try and get the, the list and promote our, our opportunities to... Um, those folks so that they'll come by and at least have a face-to-face -face or a one-on-one -on -one and get to know us. And how soon do you follow up with them? How soon after the conference? Usually I wait a week and then I'll follow up and then I'll follow up again two weeks after that first meeting. And then I'll, I'll put them on a tickler to get them on a newsletter. So they get about a once a month uh, correspondence from us to know that we're here, we're not going anywhere and that we are available anytime they're ready. And outside of newsletter, what other kinds of media do you use to stay connected with them? So one, one practice I use that most do not to stay connected with everybody on my investor database is 10 people a week will get a video text from me personalized to them one by one by one, just saying, hi, how are you doing? Is there anything I can help you with? Reach back out. If you want to get jump on a call, just text call me now uh, below. And we'll jump on a, a phone call. And just so I can stay in front of people, you do not want to reach out to these investors when every time you have a, a deal at that time, you want to you want to stay in front of them even when you don't have an opportunity for them to invest in. So they don't feel like they're just being your piggy bank. Mm, so you said 10 investors a week. Correct. So how do you repeat? Like, how when does every other investor get? Another video, like once a month or once a two months, how does it work? It's probably about once every four to five months because we have a fairly decent sized list of investors that we're, that we're going through. And I just want to make sure everybody isn't getting over too many touch points, but they're getting a touch point, whether they're looking for an opportunity or not. We just want to make sure that we're continuing to reach out. And how do you find the time to create the videos for everybody? It takes about a minute. And you just, you sit down, you set up your little tripod, you, you put, you, you put, print out your list and then you just go one by one by one and you just start dialing. It's, it's literally dialing, uh, for connection. Mm. And what kind of KPIs do you use to track the success in raising the capital? I track every investor, how, how many, deal, which deals they're in and what dollar amounts they're in at. And then I also track 
based on the projection of that investment, what the return on their investment dollars are to them and to us as the uh, capital raising arm. So then we can t tell you what the average investor's uh, worth is to us. So what's the throughput of investors? Let's say you brought like 100 people on the webinar. How, what's the average throughput that you get? The, how many are inv investing with you? you? You're going to get, um, and every, every webinar is different. Um, if somebody's on a webinar for an actual pitch for a deal that's um, up and running, you're probably going to get a higher percentage of people coming into that opportunity because they're looking to invest at that point in time. That's why they're on the webinar. So your closing ratio is probably going to be a lot higher. Ours, ours typically runs 30 to 40% on a, on a webinar where we're actually pitching a deal. Um, people that come into the funnel that have never invested that, uh, on a regular, like a one-off webinar that's more educational, you probably look more four to six percent of those folks are actually going to end up um, investing long uh, long term. And how soon do you do webinars? Like once a week or once a month? We try to do them at least once every four to six weeks. Around once a month. Yep. Perfect. Perfect. And um, how do you keep them informed? Um, newsletters or you send them a video. And how do you keep them informed about the? communication between your properties and the investors? All of our properties that are investors are on typically get a reporting once a month with the current condition and the financials for that property. So if you're not on, if you haven't invested in a property, you're not going to get that email. But if you're invested in a property, you're going to get the property specific email for the property or properties that you're invested in. Got it. Got it. So um, let's talk a little bit about how do you find the deals? So I don't, you don't, how do you source, how do you source the deals then? So after I sourced my first, after the first deal came to me, so the way I've sourced my, I'll, I'll explain how it worked out. I got invited. I was investing in, in a bunch of different deals and I was in a mastermind and that's when I got approached to help raise capital because people had been talking that I'm investing in a number of deals. So I got approached to raise capital on a deal and then we raised the money so fast Literally, once that money was in the, once we sent an email out saying that we were subscribed, literally, I was in, I remember exactly where I was. I was in Deer Valley, Utah at a hotel at another event. I got a call within five minutes of that email posting that we had already, were fully subscribed and, and funded to, for another opportunity to raise capital on. And so people that are in these masterminds find out that you're raising capital and that you're successful at it. And they push deals to you all the time. I probably see at during 2022, I was seeing probably five to 10 deals a week that, and I would choose which ones were appropriate for me. If I'm not worried, if I'm not looking to place my own money in that deal, I'm not going to pitch it to my investor pool. So if it's not good enough for me, I, I feel it's not good enough for them. So we raised 12 deals last year and a couple, couple three or four this year. But the ones we did this year were all triple net leases, not multifamily. So a little bit different um, raising tactics, but um, the deals keep finding us. I, I'm literally going to be in Houston tomorrow looking at uh, another opportunity that these gentlemen want me to raise on. And what criteria do you follow for the deal that you, you want to partner with? I'm looking for people that are over leveraging mm -hmm. an asset. And it's going to be a great return 
for the limited partners with the least amount of exposure. Like at this, downside. at this point, market is little, uh, economy is little shaky. And what kind of LTV are you looking like? Is it 60%, 65, 55, like more conservative? Where do you stand? Um, I'm more conservative. Um, we are either 70, 30 or 65, 35. We want to make sure that we're raising a, a decent portion. I'm, I'm like, literally, I like to raise about a third of the, of the uh, cost of the property for our down payment. That's where I like to be. That way it gives us a little bit of runway. If, if what happens again, like we see another, I mean, literally the interest rates went up more in the last 14 months than they have in the last 18 years. Thank you for joining us on The Real Deal, a commercial real estate investing podcast. The show that covers everything to do with multifamily real estate investing to help you become an expert in your real estate ventures. We're here to help you create passive income and financial freedom so that you can achieve what you want whenever you want. We'll catch you next time on The Real Deal.